You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. I'm number one on your speed dial right next to your weed dealer. Please call me. McGill! James McGill! I'm an attorney! It's showtime, folks. I don't go looking for guilty people to represent. Your Honor, I'll never do it again. I told you suit, remember? That's a loner, okay? I need it back. I mean, who needs that aggravation, right? <laughs> the hell kind of math is that? 700 for defense. The money is beside the point. Here's John! Money is not beside the point. Money is the point. The day of reckoning is here. It'll be a cold day in hell before I do any more PD work for this <laughs> court. I was in that court back there, saving people's lives. Thank you for restoring my faith in the judicial system. Now you either pay the three dollars, or you get an additional sticker. So, Employee of the month over here! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Hamlin, and I won't have it! What can we do for you, Jimmy? What Chuck did for this firm, one-third of this place belongs to him. If Chuck can call this an extended sabbatical, then so can we. You know I'm going to beat this. It's time to do right by him and cash him out. Hamlin's making you a chump! I'm going to get better! Chuck, I'm going under. Whose side are you on? Law offices of James McGill. How may I direct your call? The longer you stay here, the more explaining I have to do to Hamlin. It's gonna be bad for you. You! Not backsliding. Will! And I bet if we were in church right now, I'd get a big amen. Hey there, Station One listeners. Welcome to another episode. This one, we are going all out looking at the life of James McGill. Or some of you guys might know him a little bit better as Saul Goodman. And we are looking at the series Better Call Saul, which just came to an end. And after six seasons, which we thought was going to be some light, happy-go-lucky show about, you know, this lawyer who was a, you know, shyster. Wow. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about in this one, folks. And... I'm looking forward to talking about it with these people. We got a great crew here to talk all about this tonight, and it's going to be a little bit different tonight. This is going to be another one of those whole episodes. We're not doing a double feature. We're not doing a guest. We're not doing a geek seat. This is all talking about Better Call Saul tonight. So if you have not seen the series, hit pause and go watch six seasons, folks, because you know what? We got a lot to talk about, and we are going to spoil the crap out of it. So let's, of course, say hey to Mr. Mike Gordon, who is here. And he is not a lawyer by any means. Not at all. Howdy. How are you, sir? Do you want to go by another moniker tonight? No, I'm I'm fine. Uh, I, I could be going under. This could be a different moniker for me. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But uh, I'm looking forward to this. This has been uh, great. I don't know. I don't think we ever did. We ever do an episode of Breaking Bad? I thought we did. 
Could have okay. Sworn. I couldn't remember if we had done that or not, but uh, yeah, this is the first time we've talked about this series yes. in any form. Yes. So we've talked about like in shout outs, people have, t- have shouted out to like episodes and as part of the series, but I know we've never talked about individual episodes or anything like that. So this is big for us. We, this is yeah, it's really big considering for the last six years, this has been one of, I think one of the, in my opinion, one of the best series on television. It's so it's, um, the fact that we're just getting around to covering it now. It's like, oh wow, okay. Well, I, I, I'm glad we're doing this because we have the whole picture now, and you know, all the way. You know, you thought you knew what happened to Saul and everything with what because ha- you thought, oh, is this just going to lead up to Breaking Bad? But this actually went past it, which is pretty awesome, and it's going to be a lot of fun to do it. We also have a couple of guests joining us tonight. Let's, of course, welcome from the Story Geeks. Jay Shearer is here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you guys and talk about such a fantastic show. I love great stories. So this is a great one, and I can't wait to talk about it. It's awesome to have you. I think uh, Mike Gordon had told me, Mike, when we're doing uh, Better Call Saul, Jay already said he wants to be on it. So. <laughs> I'm in. Yes, I am in. Please. I'm raising my hand over here. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> And we have also Brett Allen back on the show. Brett, welcome, sir. Thank you. It's good to be back. I'm excited uh, to talk about the show. It's been a favorite of mine. I've interviewed a couple people from this. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited. And I have another guest coming up uh, later this week from Better Call Saul and the Breaking Bad universe. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. It's It's been fun to watch this story sort of unfold and kind of see where everything has gone for sure. So this is going to, it's going to be interesting and I'm glad to have you with us, sir. You know, when I put out a call for, when I put out a call, it wasn't for Saul. It was for people to talk about Saul. And we also got a newbie with us. Let's welcome, of course, Constance Hardy. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> welcome to the show. Well, well thanks for having me. Uh, well, if uh, I may say something about Better Call Saul, it's probably been the most influential show for me in the past uh, seven years. And I would say also that it's probably the most feminist show that Vince Gilligan has put up so far. And I think it's a, a point that we could talk about. How... Oh, I definitely could well, see yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, it's going to be interesting too because I'm curious to see what folks at home have to say about this. I'm curious about what you guys have to say about this. This is going to be an interesting one because I have so many different feelings on the show, how it evolved, and it didn't even start where I thought it was going to, and it didn't end where I thought it was going to. So this yeah. one kept me on my toes, and I really, really appreciated it. And so definitely would love to hear from folks at home. Feedback at earthstation1.com is the way to get in touch with us. Of course, we'd like to, you know, let everybody know, you know, if you enjoy our show, of course, please, you know, leave us feedback. We would love it. Feedback is always a great way. Five stars if you get a chance. And if you didn't enjoy the show, five sarcastic stars are always even better. So, you know, it's even better to do that. You know, I'll let somebody else listen to this. I'll give it five just so other people have to listen to this stuff they're talking about. But I I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about. Also, let's give a huge shout out to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical is a great place to get sunglasses. And you know what? 
summer's almost over, but it's not the end of sunglass season by no means. You can custom make your own kind of sunglasses. You could do customized lenses. You could do customized frames. You could even do, you know, if you have a prescription, you could even get your prescription put into these glasses. It's pretty awesome. I have to wear progressive light glasses because, you know, my vision is that bad that, you know, and if I wanted to look cool in a pair of sunglasses, Tifosi said, we'll take care of you. We can put progressives in them. It's that awesome to be able to do. Tifosi has amazing glasses. And you know what? Warby Parker has nothing on Tifosi because Tifosi Optic will make your glasses, you know, right the way you want it and custom for you. And you know what's even better? You can get 10% off your whole order. That's right. If you put in the coupon code EarthStation1, Tifosi Optical will actually even give you 10% off your whole order. You know what? Go to Tifosi Optics. You can get some pretty cool stuff. All right, folks. I'm not going to do any kind of, you know, Jimmy McGill or any kind of Saul Goodman speech here trying to get you to listen to the show. I think Mike Gordon's going to handle that for you perfectly. You ready to start, Mikey? Uh, sure. Yeah, let's get started. Um, and uh, yes, just one uh, sort of spoiler warning. Uh, not only are we talking in depth about the series uh, Better Call Saul, but we're also going to be referencing uh, the entire run of Breaking Bad and probably even El Camino, which is a standalone film that came out uh, a few years ago on Netflix. It's all wrapped up in in the uh, what I call the BBU which is the Breaking Bad universe. Um, uh, I know that I think other people call it the uh, Gillyverse, uh, but uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's just bigger than Vince. But um, anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. So let's uh, let's get started with um, Better Call Saul. Uh, Saul Goodman was introduced to us on the eighth episode of the second season of Breaking Bad in an episode called Better Call Saul. Um, and, uh, you know, he lasted till the end of the season and, uh, I think right from the beginning, right from when his introduction, uh, Bob Odenkirk's performance of, of Saul Goodman nearly stole the show. Um, and so I don't think anybody was particularly surprised when it was announced after Breaking Bad was over that Saul uh, was getting his own series, a spinoff, uh, a prequel, sequel, whatever you want to call it. It's everything and more, right? Um, Constance, let's start with you. When, okay. when Saul was introduced in Breaking Bad and during his run of Breaking Bad, what? how did you feel about him? Was it a character that you really embraced and cared about? And, and did you... Like, were you excited about a series re uh, revolving around this guy? Oh, I was. Because the the thing is that uh, my introduction to Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, uh, I remember I was watching the show with my ex. And he was telling me, like, he had seen Breaking Bad before me. So he was like, okay, let's binge that show. You, and then the episode was starting. He's like, oh, you're going to like Saul. You're going to like the guy. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't know. And then I... I I'm sorry, my cat is meowing like crazy in the back. <laughs> I don't know if you hear him, but yeah. Uh, so I um, I saw the episode and I completely fell in love with the character. He was my type of sleazy lawyer because I'm a big fan of uh, Lionel Lionel Lutz in The Simpsons. So I was like, <laughs> okay. that that's technically the same kind of character. 
And I miss Line a lot so much. So when I saw Sol, I said, okay, I found my new fleazy lawyer. I love this guy. So I was rooting for him somehow during the whole show. I was just really a big fan of Sol. And when I heard that they were doing a spinoff, I was just like crazy about it. I started like uh, trying to find more info I could get before the show starting uh i started following like the writers and all this stuff and i was just obsessed with the show before it begins and then <laughs> when the premiere when it aired on uh, the when the first season aired i was like i i didn't have a amc back then so i found like a like a bootleg uh streaming so, like on a, on a really weird shady website with like a bunch of like porn thumbnails on the on the sides <laughs> and i was like okay oh, wow. okay i'm gonna watch that show and yeah i've been uh i've been really down for it and i'm really glad of what they've done and all those new characters were just amazing and i don't know <laughs> i don't know what to say about it it was just, it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. really like one of the best shows i've seen in the past decade i think yeah yeah, I uh, yeah, I, d- I definitely want to talk about certainly that introduction to him as well. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, uh, Brett, what about you? What uh, what were your feelings about you know Saul? Because because as good as he is in in Breaking Bad, I mean he's he's kind of one note as much as one note can be in a Vince Gilligan produced show. I mean everybody has a little bit of depth, but right. um, I, I don't know how much of that we we, we got in Breaking Bad, right? Yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting, uh, to be quite honest, because I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I kind of came late to the party on Breaking Bad, probably into season three. Um, I watched the first three seasons. It was on Netflix at the time. And then I uh, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. While the show was being filmed, I got to be an extra in some of the scenes later on in the season. Um, cool. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I've always been a fan of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of an interesting sort of idea. I, I thought to myself, you know, what can they possibly do it to your point? You know, he's kind of a one note sort of guy, uh, but clearly there's more to it. And after watching Better Call Saul and then thinking back to Breaking Bad to several episodes over several seasons where he kind of. There's, I mean, they definitely did a good job of marrying the two worlds together. Um, so I don't want to get ahead of myself on that. But, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. But I think, like, the general consensus, I think, for everybody, um, <laughs> when Better Call Saul started was, when are we going to see Walt and Jesse? When are we going to see, you know, uh, different characters? And, of course, the very first episode or two, I think we get Tuco right out of the gate. So, I mean, they did a really good job. So I was excited about it. Um, I loved the show. I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I I know people have been asking, you know, are you going to do another kind of spinoff? And I think Vince has said, we're going to let this <laughs> rest for a while uh, before we try and do anything else. Sure, sure. Uh, oh, yeah, I definitely towards the end want to talk about the future of the BBU because, it, you know, if there is a future, do we want a future, et cetera, et cetera. But but in the meantime, Jay, what about uh, what about Saul Goodman? 
Well, I mean, he's he's such a good character. Having Bob Odenkirk play this role is so perfect. Um, the casting is so great. And, and one of the things that he does, both for Breaking Bad and for this show too, is that he he plays the role of thinking through the criminal element as the smartest person in the room, but approachable to the audience. And so you just know that it's going to be interesting when he gets involved in something because he's going to be thinking at a different level. He's going to be problem solving in ways that you would have never thought of on your own. And so I think that he was probably one of the best characters to build another show around. I think even better than Jesse, right? Because there's, you, you, you know, you call them kind of a one note character, but you know that there's something there. Like what made this guy, this guy, you know, that there's something there and they really capitalize on that with better call Saul. So, I mean, these are, you know, two of my top 10 TV shows of all time in in a golden era of TV shows. Mm -hmm. So it's just fantastic. I'm glad we got it. Yeah. Mike. Oh, it's going to be, it's interesting. Like everyone's saying Saul was introduced as a total one note character. He was almost at, some ways the comic relief and it was interesting you know the whole scene in the first episode with him when which they reproduced for better call saul with the grave and you know when jesse and walt kidnapped him to threaten him and you know he turned it to his situation turned it completely around and he was such the shyster he was the true you know ambulance chaser and you thought that was what all was to him and you slowly got to see the unraveling a little bit in the series yeah and then when they announced the series of Better Call Saul, I was a little skeptical because it's like, really? Doing, you know, a lawyer show or something. I was at first thinking it was going to be a comedy or something. And actually, after reading an interview with the creator, he says that was one of the ideas was doing him like in a night court type series or something, like a half hour sitcom. And basically, Better Call Saul for that. But once they introduced him as as James, it was just amazing. And to see his evolution. And truthfully, this series felt like it was like three different series. It felt like, you know, there was different eras of it. And, you know, different cast members. And it grew. But I loved how they almost gave origins to some of the things you saw in Breaking Bad the huge lab that Gus had underneath the, you know, the laundry um, had, you know, you got to see the Scalamancas. You got to see, you know, how, you know, the one guy ended up in the wheelchair with the bell. You got to see, you know, who, who Lilo was. You got to hear, see everything with that. And Gus, Gus still to this day scares the crap out of me, you know, (laughs) you know, It is just, it is just awesome, and I am so looking forward to this and seeing where this all goes. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I feel like many of you, um, I appreciated uh, the character. I wasn't really sure about a series featuring him. I, I knew it was going to be solid because the character, like I said, practically stole the show uh, at times on Breaking Bad, which is not easy to do. 
Um, but, uh, but I wonder, but I also had faith, you know, and I had faith in Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould to come out with a really solid show because I, I am, you know, they're great storytellers. They're, they're, they're great at what they do. Um, and I think also they, I didn't know this at the time, but now I'm looking back on it now, they must've, when they were, you know, when it came to let's do a spinoff or something like that. I think the thing that probably attracted to him was they got to see Bob Odenkirk perform and do his thing. Um, and behind the scenes, they were probably like, you know what? He's so good as Saul, but he can do so much more. Yeah. Let's give him a vehicle where he really gets to where the world can see what this guy can do. With Bob, it's that it's somebody, he's very humble. He's very, uh, and he's always like, I don't want to say putting himself down, but it's like, he's <laughs> he's not aware of the talent he has. And every time he gets like a, a role like this, something that is very defining, I, I would say something like uh, his role for nobody. He's like, well, I'm not an action hero. They want me to be an action hero because you can't do it. Because the people who hire you know you have the potential to do it. And that's what's fascinating to me because he made Jimmy such a good defined character that and very likable, even if he's a piece of shit. <laughs> But and, and yeah, that's the thing. Like Bob is not uh he's not aware that he's that good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's certainly, you're right. I mean, the interviews that I've seen with him and everything, he does sort of, uh, he's very humble with his yeah. abilities. But but I also believe that he wouldn't take a job if he didn't feel like he could do it, and for the challenge of it as well. And so, so yeah, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I think I, I sort of subconsciously knew that Bob was capable, I knew he was capable of carrying a show. Mm -hmm. I didn't know to what extent he could carry a show, but I knew that like, if I watched the show that Bob Odenkirk is in, I'm going to enjoy Bob Odenkirk in that show. For so, sure. um, but it, so, he uh, also got very fortunate though, Mikey, that he had an amazing supporting cast around him yeah. too. And that's, that was, you know, that also helped his character that it wasn't all Jimmy. It was, you know, you also had Michael McKeon at first. You also had, you know, you also had Kim, you also had, Nacho, you also had Mike, you know, and you and Howard to an extent, but not that much at first. But, you know, it, and it was just interesting. Absolutely. And let's face it, this is not a, by chance, right? This does not happen by chance. Like Vince and Peter are the guys who are capable are doing this and casting. And and yes, they have to come up with a cast of characters mm -hmm. kind of, as Brett said, kind of leading into Breaking Bad, but also yeah. developing the series outside of that. Like. So I think, uh, you know, they had a challenge in that respect, but, um, but so we get, you know, better call Saul and, uh, you know, it's really interesting because we, we don't see Saul for like what, two seasons. Yeah. The end see, of season see, three. Right. We see Gene and we, and, Uh, I don't know if we know his name is Gene then, but we see Gene and we see, uh, you know, James Morgan McGill, a.k.a. Jimmy, um, Slippin' Jimmy, right? And so we're introduced to these guys and, man, what a risk, what a brilliant job. But, I mean, it, it does kind of throw you. You're here, you're here for Saul, but you know what? The producers are like, they're so confident. They're like, we're not going to give that to you until season three. 
And it's like, whoa, that's bold. And that I think is also a true testament to the producers as well as Bob, that he's able to like, you're, you're still satisfied with that product because even though you're not getting it, you're like, well, I want to see where this is going. So we get, when we get to that, right. Cause it's a complete surprise. We had no idea that Saul was somebody else before he was Saul. Um, so, uh, so let's talk about that first introduction of Saul of P of Jimmy rather, and even Gene a little bit, as well as, as Mike pointed out, the amazing cast of characters, a lot of them new characters to the universe, uh, that we get and what, what was it that made it um, like a lock for you once you started watching the show? Like, okay, I'm into this. Uh, we'll start with you, Brett. Well, for me, uh, the thing that I found really the most fascinating was the Gene Takovich, you know, the black and white scenes. That's what sure. I found the most interesting uh, because really it sort of gave us a picture of what happened, you know, two years after give or take the breaking bad world ended. So to me, I think that was great. Um, I found that very fascinating. Um, the other part, and I'll just go ahead and say it. I think Rhea Sehorn, uh, Kim really made the show quite frankly, and really, I feel like contributed to its success and sort of kept the longevity going with it. Um, so there was that. And then I think, you know, um, at the end of, and I don't want to get too far ahead here, so stop me if I'm jumping too far ahead, but at the end, when we see Walter again and the way that they married those two worlds together, almost like not deleted scenes, but sort of filled them out a little bit. And they're mm -hmm. talking about regrets as they're waiting to get picked up. Um, you know, he says, I regret doing a slip and fall. <laughs> and it's kind of <laughs> like, so you've always been this way. Um, so I, I, I found those two parts or three parts fascinating. Um, you know, the first season was cool. It was kind of fun, but I think they, they couldn't have done it without Rhea and also just slowly depositing characters from Breaking Bad because that's what I think drew in most of the fan base for that show is we kind of knew we were going to sort of get that from the beginning. And I think every season, they slowly gave us a little bit more and a little bit more. So I don't know. I, I mean, I thought it was great. I was like you at the beginning, a little bit skeptical. I was like, okay, you know, what are we going to do here? Cause breaking bad was so good and was one of the most watched television shows on cable. You know, it was like, how are they going to top that? And so I think like breaking bad, it was a slow burn, but eventually they got to where they wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Constance, what about you? Uh, can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> <laughs> that 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 first season, the introduction yeah. to Jimmy, the introduction to the new characters. Like, what was it that made you like sort of you know this click? What clicked for you with the show? Like, okay, I, now I did it take a while, or were you on it like right away? Well, I knew that there were some aspects of Saul's past that we were that were mentioned into uh, Breaking Bad. So the fact that he had an ex-wife, the fact that he was, he had another name, he was a potato eater. So he said the real name is McGill. So I knew that part. So I wanted to know how he, he would transform into Saul. There was also the aspect of um, 
he mentioned, well, you, you, you said mentioning Lalo, mentioning Nacho. That's something that happened also in Breaking Bad. So people were questioning about that. And I was having question about that too. The only thing that were not mentioned ever in Breaking Bad was Chuck. And mm. to me, that was in the first season. That was the thing that made me uh, stick because I was like, that wasn't planned at all. Like Chuck never existed into Breaking Bad's universe. So how come he disappeared completely? What happened? And I was so intrigued by the relationship Chuck had with Jimmy and what was his uh, his disease. <laughs> And uh <laughs> and yeah, that was that was a really fascinating aspect because it's a very big chunk of the first two seasons. Like Chuck is important in the story, and also when when later Chuck dies and Howard is baffled by by the fact that Jimmy has no he's not grieving, like he, he doesn't have any reaction to his brother's death. And to me, that was like a big point that defined Saul Goodman in later episodes. And the fact that he, they mentioned it at the end, that that was one of his regrets to, to have uh, not been there for his brother, I think. Like I tried to figure out, but yeah, Chuck to me was probably one of the most important thing in the first season. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's an interesting journey because it sets up that, you know, the black and white footage is Gene hiding from the authorities, right? Yeah. That, that's Jimmy as Gene hiding from the authorities. What we don't know when we watch Breaking Bad and what we find out in Better Call Saul is that Saul is Jimmy hiding from, like, his his, his brother's yeah, death. Yeah, his former life. Uh, yeah. His is his you know, his ex-wife, like he is, he is, he is doing everything he can not to think about those things and take on this completely uh, escapist uh, persona, yeah. which he is so good at. He's developed since he was a kid um, that it's, it is an amazing performance that it's so uh, layered like that. Um, we take a character that, you know, outside of a few things is, is like we said, fairly one note and we make him so layered that even with each season, with each episode that passes, it's just an amazing thing to watch. I don't know if it's ever been done as well as it's been done on on TV in this series. Uh, Jay, what about you? What were your thoughts that first couple seasons? Well, there was two things. uh, There's two things that the series started to do in the very beginning and kept doing throughout. One of them is a carryover from Breaking Bad. So it, so as soon as they started doing that, I knew that I was going to be into this show as well. But then they, 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 they increased the stakes for me a little bit more. So the first one is, I don't think there's another show on television that does a better job of sequentially working through how a person makes micro decisions that turns them into something majorly different over the course of time. And the reason why a lot, a lot of people do it is because you need a lot of time to be able to accomplish that. If you get canceled in season one, it's all over. Um, so watching someone like Walter White and realizing that if someone were going to do that, turn bad, break bad, this is how it would be done. Like, it's ultra realistic. 
I thought that was magnificent. So then we start with with Jimmy, and you know it's the same thing. You know it's these little tiny decisions made over a long period of time to get someone from point A to point Z. Fantastic. From a storytelling perspective, probably unmatched. I can't think of another series that does it that well. The second thing, and, and Better Call Saul does this better than Breaking Bad, in my opinion, is to have two people arguing over the same thing from different perspectives. And as an audience member to sit there and go, oh, that's a really good point. Oh my gosh, but that's a really good point. But wait a minute, that's an even better point. And the way that they handle that, in, in, a, in an era of, of filmmaking, in an, area, in an era of TV where we like to throw uh, sort of these political statements at each other that are very one-sided and not very nuanced, Better Call Saul says that's not really the way that these things work. These things are nuanced. They're interesting. Characters have these deep perspectives on different aspects of what how they're approaching a topic. And the way they do it in Better Call Saul was amazing from the first episode onward. And so for those for those reasons, I just think that uh, it's easy to hook somebody if you have those two things in your show. At least it's easy to hook me for sure. Yeah, they, the producers seem to be masters at uh, making, you know, bad people understandable, relatable, compelling. Um, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, you know, and and with with Breaking Bad, you know, we kind of know what Walt's doing and we know why he's doing it and we have some sympathy for him. And on his journey, we have no idea how it's going to end. With Jimmy, we know how it's going to end. I mean, not <laughs> ultimately, maybe, but we know, you know, we know what's coming. And so you're thinking, well, you know, if I know what's coming, is this, but as how many times have we heard it? What's more interesting, the the, the destination or the journey, right? Mm -hmm. And Better Call Saul, I'm not usually a fan of prequels. But Better Call Saul pr proves me wrong. It's that exception that proves the rule. It's like, look at this journey. You will be fascinated by this journey. And 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 it's so true. Uh, it, it Mike, what about you? It completely kept you guessing because you yeah. kept on wondering what happens to this character? What happens to this character? Yes. And that's, you know, throughout the whole series, you know, because, you know, Kim was not in Breaking Bad. So you kept on guessing what happened to her. Is she going to die? Is she going to do this or whatever? When you met Chuck, same thing. And it was interesting because Chuck was almost the perfect foil to Jimmy. They played off each other so well, like true brothers do. And it was really awesome. And it was interesting how in the first two seasons, it was Chuck handicapping Jimmy all the different ways. You know, you thought of Jimmy as the shyster, as Jimmy as, you know, and Jimmy was trying to prove himself to be a good lawyer at first. You know, he was studying, wanted to become an attorney, just like his brother. He wanted to prove himself. Hey, I'm not slipping Jimmy anymore. I'm Jimmy, I'm James McGill. I'm going to, you know, become an attorney. And he, yeah, he got his law degree from a school in the islands. But, you know, it was still a degree and he was still, uh, he passed the bar. And... But Chuck couldn't see past that. He didn't think Jimmy could ever raise himself above that, even though, you know, and it was 
really interesting to do. And there were some true tender moments between the two of them. And it was just, and it was just interesting that, you know, the disease that Chuck had and, you know, that he, with the, anything electrical, anything, you know, modern. And it was just amazing how it affected him. And then he beat it, but because of his relationship with Jimmy, it pushed him back and made him even crazier. And that's what eventually killed him. And I just found it fascinating. And then to throw Mike in there as like a wrench and how they introduced that Mike was just working at the, you know, the parking, the, the parking lot. Parking he was attendant. <laughs> and, you know, and it was almost because of Jimmy that he started getting involved with, you know, the mob with Nacho and then eventually with Gus and the Salamancas and everything. And it was just, it was just like one little thing led to another and into another. And it was just a spiraling effect throughout the whole series. And I just thought that was just amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about more about the spiraling effect in detail and everything that's happening in the series. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, then when we come back, we're going to talk all about uh, the mid part, the meat part of Better Call Saul. No, we got to keep going. No, we got to go. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I am very excited to be heading to the movie theater this weekend to see Star Wars Rogue One. Now, hold on a minute. You may be thinking, didn't this movie come out years ago? However, Disney and Lucasfilm are re-releasing the film in advance of the new Disney Plus Star Wars series Andor. Now, Rogue One is one of my favorite Star Wars films. I really enjoyed getting to see it on IMAX back when it was first released. And so anytime there's an opportunity to see Star Wars again on the big screen, I'm going to jump at it. But I'm also really thrilled that they're going to be um, tying an exclusive look at the series and or within this IMAX movie. Now, will I be a little disappointed if it's like basically a two and a half minute commercial for Andor and we don't really see that much new footage or content, you know, that might be a little bit of a bummer. But again, it's always wonderful to see Star Wars on the big screen. And I honestly wish that Disney and Lucasfilm would do more of this kind of content. Just put out some of these classic movies again, and I will gladly pay money to go and see them. On the smaller screen, I have been watching the premiere of House of the Dragon, which is the new Game of Thrones spinoff series. I was a little bit late to the Game of Thrones party. I started watching it in 2019 after the show was basically over. And I know a lot of fans, let's just say the ending didn't leave the best taste in people's mouths. So if you've been kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to dive back into Game of Thrones. I mean, if we are watching it, we are also kind of taking it at our own risk because we don't know how this show is going to end up. But I'm really enjoying it so far. It's really great to be returning back to this world, and hopefully the showrunners will learn a lesson from the final season of Game of Thrones that all these big plot twists are fun and entertaining, but you've got to have the character development moments 
to earn it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. This week I am writing about the new Star Wars novel, Shadow of the Sith. Coming this summer to a podcast near you, be prepared for the return of... The Jedi. No, the return of... The King. No, the return of... Swamp Thing? You are such an idiot. The return of... Oh, oh, oh. The Monster Sci-Fi Show. Yes, it's coming back and it's about time. The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the Rebel Alliance, part of your complete breakfast, and part of the ESO Network. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Guys like you, you think you're so damn smart. You think you don't have to play straight with anybody. The wheel is going to turn. It always does. Chuck bamboozled me. Again. It's your word against mine. I don't think I'll ever forget what happened here today. You will pay. You need me. I'm not going to let you fight this on your own. No! I will fix this. Myself. Me. Jimmy McGill. You free for breakfast tomorrow? Who's got your back? Huh? Me. That's who. Keep that in mind. So, what's our next move? I'm not unsympathetic to your sense of justice. You destroyed our family for nothing! You happy now? You got some real James Bond stuff in here. This car doesn't have an ejector seat, does it? I got a good feeling about this. Here's my ride. Welcome back. Now let's dive into more Better Call Saul. So, yeah, we were talking about Jimmy and the introduction to Jimmy and, and all of that. Um, but as been pointed out by uh, all of us, I think, at one point in our discussion, you know, Jimmy's like half the story. The other half of the story is sort of setting up the environment in which we'll, we will see in Breaking Bad. And I think pretty much the for the most part that's represented by gus uh we see gus i think in the first season right and he's so it's pretty much established that we are going to follow gus fring's rise to power in this series as well which is an interesting sort of choice i didn't expect that going in i mean any opportunity to see uh Giancarlo Esposito act, I'm all for. Like he is brilliant. <laughs> like everybody on this show is brilliant. Let's put it this that way. Um uh but you know, uh and and Mike, to your point mm-hmm. that you're still afraid of Gus, I'm still afraid of Giancarlo. <laughs> like I think like I like he's like he does too many roles where I'm like, yeah, he he's a terrifying man. Um, but or he can be anyway. Um, so let's talk about that for a little bit, like that side of the show, because you don't you know, you don't see them intersect that often at at this stage, like through the most part, because they're both setting up two different things for the series Breaking Bad. So, but it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting, does, does the, does the rise of Gus sort of uh, equal what we see with Jimmy? Uh, We'll start with you, Jay. Yeah, that's a really good question. One of the things that I think that both shows are playing with again is this concept of what it takes to win in a way, right? Like what does it take to dedicate yourself to to dedicate your life to something in which you want to win? And it's, I think we get that from every different angle of all the different characters. And there are these times when it's like, 
do I make my, do I, do I win from the perspective of my peers? Like Jimmy's originally trying to win by the perspective of, of Chuck, right. And any other lawyers, like I want to win the right way. And then he's like, you know what? Screw the white right way. I'm going to win. I'm just going to win. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I think the same is true of Gus Fring. He is trying to play this game with the Salamancas, not being a part of the Salamanca family. And yet at some point he's like, you know what? I'm just going to win. I, who cares about these other people? I don't need their approval. I'm just going to win. And I think that one of the things they did with, um, with Gus that was uh, pretty unique and very, very intriguing was I don't think in Breaking Bad there was a single moment of time wherein Gus Fring seemed scared. Yeah. But when they tell us, when they tell us that Lalo Salamanca is not dead, the the amount of fear that Giancarlo Esposito plays with, despite the fact that he's putting on airs, I'm 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 going to pretend I'm the toughest guy around, but deep inside I'm I could die, and I and, and he he knows there's this paranoia that he has, and I think that that just again it carries it carries forward something that we never knew about a character that is now being revealed, and and it's and it's weird because. You know, for me, Kenobi, which was, again, a prequel, it didn't add anything to the characters for me. In fact, I was actually kind of pleased with the series until the last episode, and I was like, I can't stand it now because it didn't do anything new. But the fact that I was actually scared for Gus Fring, knowing that Gus Fring was going to be alive and well in in the future, was really amazing. So I think adding the Gus Fring angle actually gave us the ability to see um sort of how the puzzle pieces were going to fall together in the future because without Saul Goodman Gus Fring can't do some of the things that Gus Fring wants to do without you know so so those puzzle pieces were all there and I think Gus Fring added to that in a very satisfactory way for sure yeah yeah good point too because like you said I mean with Gus his actions speak louder than his words because he's a man of few words um and the fact that he I mean, he doesn't even live in his own house. He has like, he's constantly has like 10 guys and secured. Like, you know, he's scared just because he's doing that. If he wasn't afraid, that wouldn't be the case. Right. So, uh, suddenly surrounded all the time. Um, that's a choice, right? I have a fun fact about that really quick. Um, just cause it's cause, just cause it's interesting. So you guys remember when he, when the two the husband and wife couple who like live in the house across from Gus that's like yeah. a big sham because they're like trying to that couple the husband Kirk Boville was in two movies that I two short films that I produced oh wow um, fantastic guy uh, but just kind of a, just kind of a fun fact I was able to write one of the films for him that he did that he did with us and he's a really cool guy but anyway that's my connection to that <laughs> that's cool that's very cool that's very cool. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Constance, what about you? What did you feel about the sort of Mike, Gus, and all the, uh, you know, the other side of Better Call Saul? Uh, another point about Gus that we didn't mention is the fact that he, uh, got, uh, this, um, the server at the restaurant that was like flirting with him that lent him, uh, a bottle of wine to try. And the fact that uh, in Breaking Bad, we see uh, the flashback where he, uh, his partner, Max, get ki- gets killed by, uh, by the Salamancas, by, by Hector. And uh, 
we see how he decided to never ever let his feelings get in his life again so he's very afraid he's protecting himself but also he's not letting anybody in his life and that's a choice he decides to make because he, he wants to know the, the the guy a little more he, he would like to be a part of his life but he can't because you know that it's gonna end up probably the same way that with his previous partner so i thought it was a a nice take also the fact that yeah peter gold confirmed at that point that yeah uh well gus is gay and uh that was like a, a fun well a fun way to see that the character had feelings and is able to feel like human feelings because <laughs> mm. that's that's how i saw gus in during breaking bad i really saw the character as this cold uh person that is unable like to uh yeah feel any like good emotion and who would just like be able to kill without any remorse or anything but at first this man had feelings and mm -hmm. i thought it was a good take uh on how he gradually changed to become what he was in breaking bad yeah yeah brett you know i thought it was interesting just to see the dynamics between the two characters mike and gus and sort of how their relationship started and how it wound up. Um, I think Mike, as we see in Better Call Saul, almost like was kind of starting to earn the respect of Gus, you know, because what Gus showed up in what season two, right? Uh, that's when it all sort of came out and people put it together. You know, Gus is back basically, and they're like, oh, we didn't think that the fans would figure it out. It's like, really? I mean, come on. You know, who, who are you dealing with here? Um, and then eventually Mike just sort of becoming a caretaker for Gus and sort of being his protector. You know what I'm saying? As They kind of start out as not necessary subordinates, but kind of like co-equals, I guess, in a way. And then, you know, as things continue on. Um, really sort of being his boss and, and caretaker. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and the thing, too, about Lalo that I found fascinating, you know, that was just a throwaway in Breaking Bad. Right. Uh, and they, they decided, and same with Nacho, too, Ignacio, you know, sort of bringing those two characters in. But anyway, it was fun to watch the dynamic between the two and sort of how it evolved. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was you know, poetic justice <laughs> for both of them uh, as we see their demise in Breaking Bad. But it, the thing that I found fascinating about the show really was the fact that we kind of knew where things were going to end up and so they weren't going to die mm -hmm. in this series necessarily. Um, and really just watching, you know, their worlds collide and sort of how they came about. And, you know, we already kind of knew about Mike a little bit from Breaking Bad but I even thought it was great how this show gave him sort of a backstory a little bit and, you know, sort of how he became corrupt, so to speak. And then his son becoming a cop and getting killed and then taking care of his granddaughter and all of that. So I, I don't know. I, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. 
Yeah, and it is an interesting way to look at it because with these established characters that we've seen before, like Gus uh, and Mike, uh, we know what happens to them in Breaking Bad. We know that they have bad ends. We know that they die. So it really gives you an an atmosphere like any of the new characters, Nacho, Kim, you know, Lalo. They're not around when Breaking Bad starts. So you you really worry about them because <laughs> you're like, because you know what happens to the characters on Breaking Bad and in this universe. It's not yeah. usually a happy ending. Right. So um, so it is interesting. But uh, so, Mike, what about you? What about uh, were you happy to like dine at Los Pollos Hermanos again? I loved it. The best chicken in the world. Really the best, <laughs> most tender. It was interesting, though, because. In a lot of ways, you did get, you know, learn more about Gus a bit, but you had more of his backstory. But the one I think who grew the most with that, of course, was Mike, because you had Mike come in, you know, go up through the ranks and everything. You learned about how he was a cop on the take and that his son was following in his footsteps and he got killed by other dirty cops. And then you, and it was just interesting to see, but it always seemed that Mike had a conscience in it and it was, and it went off rails a couple of times, especially the times like when he, you know, had to kill one of the German, um, art engineers. And it was just, it was just interesting that he, you know, he lost faith in himself, he lost faith in Gus, and he got the, himself, he got the crap beat out of him because of it. And because he just like, that's it, I don't have anything else to live for or anything because I've, I've gone completely rotten. And it was Gus who saved him with that. And that was just pretty interesting. But it was also the one episode I had loved with Mike was when he and Jimmy slash Saul had the walk walkabout in the desert. And it was such a good episode between the two of them. Because literally for almost 45 minutes, it was just the two of them. And they had to act out of the, that scene. It yeah. Was, it was just, it was just awesome. And it and it was just really really well done and he was in some ways it always felt like mike was the guardian angel over everything i agree yeah and it you also saw that in breaking bad like when walter white was going to go confront gus at his house (laughs) and mike you know pulled out in front of him you're like i would not go in there and i would not do no half measures here walter yeah exactly exactly (laughs) the gun away whatever it is you thought you came here to do is not happening today get your car (laughs) fixed walter (laughs) exactly and it was just it was he and it proved it and you know and don't you know threaten his granddaughter don't you know do anything with the family when they had the twins going after the grand the possibly going after the kid oh you know you saw him on the warpath and he you know it was pretty yeah, awesome don't, don't mess with mike yeah and it don't was mess interesting with mike. and nacho i my heart went out to nacho 
Oh. It was he was such a good character and everything. Yes. And there was just no way he was ever going to make it out of the situations that he got put into. He was basically the footman and the cabin father, basically. He was from his very as soon as he got involved with it, he was dead. He, there was no way he was going to survive. Yeah, especially him initially trying to figure out a way to poison, you know, Hector and <laughs> yeah. right. Of, that whole dilemma, which I thought that was kind of cool, too, about how we found out how he wound up in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gus sort of intervening initially to get him the best care uh, just to keep him alive so he could watch him suffer. <laughs> <laughs> but the end, like, I think it's what like one of the most spectacular ending for a character that I've seen. Yeah. And also the fact that it made me hate the Salamancas even more because it's just like to me they feel like they're they're just pathetic like they 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 are so lame and to see like the 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 brothers just carrying Hector on his wheelchair to just like start shooting on the dead body like that's so ridiculous I it started was, laughing it was like mean they, it was just it like was, but, that's how low they are and to me it just like it, it helped me like just realize how awful but they are like the was, whole family is just rotten <laughs> it, but it was awesome though because nacho went out on his on his own terms on term yeah and everything mm-hmm. he took himself out but i loved how he said it was me he he was the mustache mm-hmm. twilling villain i was the one who switched your pills i <laughs> was the one who made you have the stroke ah, 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 ah. and then he just and that was just it was just awesome yeah. And then, then the follow up to it when Mike went to see his father to tell. Oh, him, that was heartbreaking. It was horrible, and everything. And he knew that Nacho was gone already. He knew in his heart, you know. Well, as you said, I think he knew he was on a path. That was the only way it was going to end for him. Yeah, I think the dad knew that, and uh, he was not impressed. You know, Mike thought he was doing a good thing, but to tell him and and to talk to him and and say he was going to seek justice for him or or he got justice for him or whatever. But his father was not into any of that, Um, which I thought that was a really powerful scene. Mm -hmm. I thought it was awesome. It was it was such a good scene and it was such powerful characters. And it was it was just it was just awesome. And. You know, the other character, you know, we got to talk about is Howard. And, you know. Oh, poor Howard. Howard, Poor Howard. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, I want want to, yeah, I want to talk about Howard in a second. Um, But uh, I just want to follow up and real quick and wrap up the whole underground stuff because the drug stuff. Because I, I did think that, you know, here we see prior to you know, uh, Heisenberg entering the picture, how messed up this whole uh, environment is. And you get the feeling that if Walt had like watched Better Call Saul, he would have been like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, like if he had any idea how messed up this environment, how unor- like how this series, how this atmosphere worked, how the drug trade worked and all that, like, but he didn't. You know, and I guess in in his in his case, uh, ignorance was bliss. I mean, he, he nobody told him that he couldn't do it, so that's mm-hmm. how he kept doing things that you shouldn't have been able to do. 
Um, and a lot of ways, I think we see in this series, Gus is that guy. Gus is the outsider um, making his way in, doing things, approaching things differently and and changing the game, so to speak. And I, I did appreciate watching that process go down. Um, but uh, yeah, Mike, so, so we're going to switch the, the pen, swing the pendulum back uh, because we, we, we have to talk about Howard, but I really, really we really need to spend some time talking about Kim uh, because I think as has already pointed out, like I don't think this series works without Kim Wexler. Uh, I don't think this series works without Rhea Seahorn. Um, Constance, tell us about your feelings about Kim. Kim is uh, the character that we needed the most, I think for uh, to see how, you can still be a good person in life, even if you're surrounded with, you know, crimes and people who are bad influences on you. And even if, like, to me, the relationship between Kim and Jimmy is like the most tragic love story there is because they were in love, but they were bad for each other. That's that's something that they say at the end, but it's something we see during the whole thing is how Kim is battling the need to, uh, you know, be mischievous with, with Jimmy and also uh, trying to be a good lawyer for herself. And to me, uh, I remember, like, I think I remember when I really start enjoying watching Kim on the show is when she, uh, she starts making cold calls and she's starting like working really, really hard. Uh, and to me, I felt like at this point I was like, okay, I want, I want to see this girl succeed in life. I want to see her like get the best career that she could have. I want her to succeed. And when we see her much later, well, at the end of the series, when she's in Florida, and I was so afraid because, like, her life was miserable, completely miserable. And I was like, no, no, not my Kim. I want her to, to, be, to be good in life. I want her to have, like, a, a very happy and perfect life. And, and, and she didn't have that. She had that yep guy and it was just I don't know how to say that but to me it was like the most distressing thing I've seen I, I've seen all the characters like die and become miserable and suffer but her I didn't want her to suffer and that yeah. was the most suffering thing I could see and to, when when she gets the call from Jimmy and she's like you should turn yourself in and he's like, well, you should do it yourself. And then she does it. And I was like, yes, that's what she needed to do. Because her conscience was like, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know how to explain it. But it's just like <laughs> the, the character, she needed to do the right thing. And I'm so glad she did. And now she's getting better. And I'm glad because it's going to be okay for her. And that's all I, that's all I wanted. <laughs> and that that's all I wanted from her since the beginnings. Uh, Jay, tell us about Kim. 
one of the things I, I think Kim does for us, and, and this is maybe the highest praise I can give Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and all of this this universe, is that it's incredibly Shakespearean in nature. You guys were talking about the conversation between Mike and Nacho's father. That's that's a Shakespearean conversation, right? And why does it reach those levels? Because it reveals a truth about the way that the world works via storytelling, that it doesn't have to just put it on a plate for you and say, here, this is the truth, and you have to eat it, right? It instead says, I will prove the truth by playing it out with a set of characters to see what would happen if we took this truth and took it to its to its end result. The reason that I think Kim plays a role in that truth is because one of the things that they're playing with is the people you surround yourself with will dictate to a degree what you become. And Kim is 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 like the embodiment of that principle because because Kim was a person who was pursuing something that was of value to defend to defend justice if you will but then she got caught up in the money guys and the money guys go after a certain kind of justice and that doesn't feel real good sometimes and so then she goes well maybe i shouldn't get caught up in that maybe i should go after something that is more altruistic and when she starts defending the little guy there's a little piece of her that if she was not hanging around jimmy who by the way enables the her to do that by making his own amount of money but in that enablement, she also is too attached to Jimmy to the point where they get married, but she can't let go of the things because the things, the things that are available to her, the chance at revenge, the chance to bring someone else's career down, those things are still available to her. And that temptation ultimately will cause her to break bad in her own way. And so her character really proves out this, this, this concept, this theoretical truth that the that the storytellers are trying to storytellers are trying to get is just if you surround yourself with these people you will fall into this kind of behavior because it's almost too too hard to resist that temptation so her character is just phenomenal and i will say this the scene where she's on the bus and she finally has the breakdown of all the things that have happened in her life is extraordinary yeah no words just her breaking down and having this just like sorrow filled anxiety filled moment on that on that bus it comes pouring so out. true it's so yeah. amazing amazing so you can't say enough good things about kim wexler right uh well at the risk of saying more good things about kim <laughs> uh, brett what were your thoughts on on kim and oh her you role? know as i've said you know so far in this whole conversation i think she's what really holds the show together um and you know interestingly enough in the beginning when her and jimmy get together and they're kind of flirting and then dating you know i always thought to myself you know as she's going along with these cons that they're doing you know in the restaurants and at the bars and stuff like if it's just a fun game for her because i think for jimmy it's not really it's a game but He's really pushing himself to see how far he can go and what he can get done. Mm-hmm. And then it spills over into the Kettleman's and then, you know, the nursing facility and then just on and on. And it just continues to build. Um, and I wonder, I always thought, you know, does she think this is something that's going to get more serious or it's just kind of fun and games, if that makes any sense. And just to kind of watch her play along with everything that's happening. Um, but it takes the death of Howard 
for her to like break and realize this is too much, which I found that was like, there's an old fashioned saying, you know, everybody has their limits, you know, like what is everybody's limits? Um, And even as they would continue on with her storyline and as he's, even when he changes his name to Saul Goodman, you know, you think, oh, this is going to be it for her, but yet she keeps continuing on. Of course, they break up their partnership and she does her thing and he does her thing. He does his thing, but they're still together, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. still in this relationship, but him, even, (laughs) even him being left in the desert for dead um, and being shot at and all of that, you know, is still like, you know, not enough. It's like, you know, that would be a breaking point for anybody, I would think, especially in a, a marriage. <laughs> but the death is what kept everything off. So, again, you know, uh, to Jay's point, this sort of Shakespearean tale of what's going to happen and letting the truth play itself out. And then, you know, at the end, being able to reconcile, you know, I think what made things right for her was that Jimmy you know, finally confess. Cause even then at the end, he's like scheming, trying to yeah. come up with ways to get out of, you know, maximum jail time or whatever. Uh, but him to just confess completely, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to this here soon, but um, yeah, I just, I found her character extremely fascinating. Um, I don't think we need another spinoff of Kim Wexler. I think we know enough <laughs> about her um, just saying, uh, I know that people are starting to swirl about that, but I can't sit through another mm. six seasons of this. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just being honest. I mean, I cover pop culture all day long from tip to tail, and I just think it would be jumping the shark um, if they tried to continue on with her story. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I have, you know, and Vince, we trust. And if they want, if he wanted to pull the trigger on a, another thing, but we'll, we'll talk a bit about more about that in the future or the possible future, or if there is one for, for all these things. But, uh, Mike, what, how did you feel about, about Kim? Kim was interesting because she, you know, when first introduced, literally, she had just gotten her pastor bar also and, she was a new attorney and she also worked in the mailroom with Jimmy before that. That's how they had met. And it was real interesting too, because, you know, more you learned about Kim, you know, she was almost at, at first in the series, what grounded Jimmy, what kept Jimmy, you know, from going off the deep end. And in a lot of ways was his conscience and, which was really interesting too. And, you know, he was able to, you know, bitch about, you know, Chuck all the time about, you know, what Chuck was doing or, you know, what, you know, Jimmy wanted to get revenge for something that Chuck did. She talked him off the edge. No, Jimmy, do this, do that. You know, you're, you're getting into the whole thing with Sandpiper. You're doing this, you're doing that. And, you know, things are going well with you. All that was going, you know, was because of Kim. A lot of times. And, you know, Kim was used to having somebody like Jimmy in her life. Her mom was like Jimmy, Mm. was a shyster, was an abuser. And, you know, and so she grew up with that. And when they had the flashback 
of, you know, when Kim got caught stealing and the mom, you know, made it out, you know, at the store. Oh, she's going to be punished for this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the mom ended up stealing stuff from the store also, you know, it was just, it was just crazy. And so you, you learned about Kim's background that way. And it was just interesting because her character grew and she became a very successful attorney throughout the series. And, you know, she had a career, but she also had a conscience and she also wanted to help the little guy and, you know, the per people less fortunate. And she kept on doing the pro bono work and all that. And it was just awesome. And then by the point where her and Jimmy started getting involved with the Salamancas, specifically Lilo, um, you know, there was no way out. And, you know... Jimmy said it perfectly in the final episode when Lilo killed Howard, Kim ran off to get her life back together. Where when, you know, Lilo killed Howard, he ran and he fully jumped in as Saul Goodman and became that character. And, but she was not living. That was the thing. She was dead inside. You know, she let herself go. She tried moving to Florida, working at the, you know, sprinkler company. And it was just, she was dead inside. And she needed to bring herself back. And it took Jimmy calling her and her telling Jimmy to, you know, turn yourself in for her then say, hey, I need to do something with myself. And it was real interesting to see. Because then in the final scene, when she came to the prison to visit Jimmy. She had cut her hair. She was taking care of herself again. She was back to, in a lot of ways, the Kim that we started, that we knew and loved that, you know, who was going to probably be volunteering at the, you know, at the law offices and, you know, doing other, you know, getting her life back together. Does she have a future with Jimmy? No, but I think, she they've they've come to peace with each other, which is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, it, it to me Kim's story is intertwined with Jimmy's, uh, and uh, we see how over time, uh, as they get closer and closer, uh, they bring out the best in each other, and they bring out the worst in one another. Um, and uh, it's the very dangerous mix. Um, that ends with, you know, someone getting killed and, and it takes an event like that for them to, you know, for, for Kim to say no more. And she doesn't, I mean, maybe her intention is to run away and get her act together, but she doesn't, as we see, which mm -hmm. is probably one of the biggest tragedies of all. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did find it interesting, um, you know, especially the sequence where, as Jay pointed out, you know, she she is so in contempt for, uh, you know, the the money lawyers like working for money. And, and uh, the only thing is and you're you're stomping on the little guy in order to get the, the biggest paycheck out of everything. Um, and then as soon as she gets out of that scenario, you see her like take all her and Jimmy's skills to target. Um, a representative of that, which is Howard. Um, and, and uh, you know, poor Howard, as we've said, you know, like poor Howard, like he has no idea. He's just doing his thing. 
Um, and I don't even know if he's as bad as some of the other lawyers. We don't really get to know Howard on a huge level, but we do have some sympathy for him. Um, enough to say, like, man, he didn't deserve the, that end that he got. And it was that's probably the most shocking moment of the entire series is when he gets killed like that, just unceremoniously. Um, that, yes, it splits them up and that it it they're both running away. They're both, uh, you know, not living their full um, lives until they reconnect, until Jimmy calls her. And then only then is she able to sort of wake up out of the, as you call it, Mike, the, the sort of deadness that she's been for the last uh, couple years and, and really start taking like she can't. That's the thing that's so sad. Not only isn't she in like a, she's not doing, she's not practicing law, which we all know she loves and she's really good at. She's, she's just like spinning her wheels. Every time someone is asking her about making a decision, she cannot make any decisions. She can't help with even saying what kind of cake they should get. Like she, she cannot make any decisions whatsoever. She's, that's been taken away from her. And it's such mm-hmm. it, it's so tragic. I mean, we we like everybody's worried about what happens to Kim what, through a whole series. You're like, what's going to happen to Kim? Because she is like you, we've said the heart of the show. I mean, we know what happens to some of these people, but we don't care what happens to others or whatever. As much as we like, we're dying to know what how Kim ends up. And then when we find out what's happening to her in Florida, I think it's worse than death. I think it's a fate worse than death. Yeah. Um, and it is like one of the saddest things that happens on the series. Uh, ahead, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a nice take on trauma. To me, mm-hmm. it's a, that's what I see Kim's story about. Well, a lot of of the characters have their own traumas, but this one, if well, not everybody is like uh like is uh witnessing a murder in their life, but it's the same thing. Like her reaction, you 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 said it. If she if she asked her to if somebody asked her to take a decision, she can do it, and that's something like. Well, I've personally lived with trauma is like you, you become numb. You, you cannot do anything when you experience something that is really bad in your life. And to me and probably to other to a lot of people watching the show, like they probably recognize themselves into Kim at that specific point in, in their life because... Yeah, that's exactly how somebody who has lived a traumatic event would react mm-hmm. no, that's absolutely a great way to put it i agree with that completely and it with her breaking down finally in that scene that she finally was able to come face to face with the trauma and yeah. deal with it and the scene on that scene on the it was a rental car um bus when she was going back to the airport it was it was heartbreaking it was so so powerful and you know everyone's lives were literally torn apart because of their actions mm-hmm. it, you know and it was just it was just amazing to see and you saw you know she literally when howard died she died in something died in her yeah yeah and you know and it it was such a well done scene and from what i hear you know the two actors, you know, playing Saul and Kim, didn't know that was going to happen. They did not tell them that's that that's how it was going to go down, and so they because they wanted their reaction to that and everything. 
So it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was really well done. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about the finale, the last the season, the finale, and and possible future. We're going to do that um, real quick, but we're going to take a quick break and then come back. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Tickets go on sale this Wednesday, August 24th, for Dreamers Never Die. That is the definitive Ronnie James Dio documentary that is going to be shown only in theaters on September 28th and October 2nd. It's approved by his estate and family. It features interviews with his widow, Wendy, as well as people in the industry like Rob Halford, Eddie Trunk, Sebastian Bach, Lita Ford, many, many more. Traces his entire career back from when he was a doo-wop singer in the 50s all the way to his passing. And the uh, theater screening event will include a reel of uh, exclusive outtakes that can only be seen at this event. So if you're a Ronnie James Dio fan, log on to dreamersneverdie.com and check out the ticket information. And if you haven't updated your hard drive in a while, like a really long while, and you listen to Janet Jackson, be very careful. Uh, A Microsoft engineer named Raymond Chen um, made an entry in the Microsoft developer's blog that a major computer manufacturer discovered that playing the video for Rhythm Nation would crash not only the hard drive of the laptop, playing the song, but anything around it, a particular frequency in that record will just literally rattle the devices apart. The MITRE Corporation um, issued a workaround uh, that filters the frequency on playback. These are older model laptops, though. They made a note in the uh, CVE database, which is the National Database of Vulnerabilities in Computers, Uh, that this is 2005-era hard drives. So I don't know how many people have those hard drives and are going to play that song, but consider yourself warned. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog's iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, everyone. This is Carrie from the Metal Geeks podcast. Thanks for geeking out with us for the past 10 years. Yes, I said that 10 years that we've been doing this talking about video games and metal and TV and movies and comic books and scene parts and all that other cool stuff. Check us out on our website at metalgeeks.net and on all the socials at Metal Geeks. We are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky and keep it metal. You ever feel like you're being followed? Well, you know what they say, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. You think we're wicked? The days of Who's here to see Saul Goodman? Laugh and run away. You're the guy, right? What guy's that? Mm-hmm.
Salamanca's guy. Are you building a case against Jimmy? I'm just getting warmed up. No one knows what we're doing. Except for us. Whatever happens next It's not gonna go down the way you think it is Okay folks Round three with Better Call Saul You ready for this one? This is where we get real interesting And we all go black and white Take it away, Mikey. (laughs) So we finally get the end of the sixth season uh, over the past month or so. Uh, Most of it is in black and white because we get the transition, as we pointed out in the last, like the the, the death of Howard and and all that kind of wraps up there. And all that is is really kind of the end of the, uh, you know, the Jimmy uh, part of, of the show. And. And so now we want to find, we've seen the Better Call Saul. We've seen Saul Goodman saga. We saw that on Breaking Bad. So now we want to know what, what happened, what happened to Saul, uh, what, what he becomes Gene. Most of the episodes, the latter episodes are in black and white, which is a bold choice. Uh, There's still several people that I hear like, you know, kids or whatever that are like, I don't like black and white. I don't watch black and white movies, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) So to, to film these in black and white, um, you know, visually, as I think Jay pointed out, it's a it's a really good decision because it sets it apart. So we can we can sort of have in our in our visually a time frame of what things are happening when. Uh, but, uh, you know, I did think it was, you know, pretty much like the, the last few episodes are almost all black and white, which visually looks really cool because you can do a lot of really cool stuff with black and white that you can't do with color. But um, how did you feel? Uh, Brett, we'll start with you. How did you feel about the the ending? Did it did it happen the way you thought it would? Did it happen in a satisfying way? Um, what did you think of the end of Better Call Saul? I enjoyed it. I liked the black and white episodes. I think it's a hearkening back to the episodes of like Fly, you know, and Breaking Bad, where the whole episode is Walt trying to kill a fly that's in the lab and it's just really slow poetic storytelling and I think those types of things are important to a good story um I was I I liked how it ended I mean I thought it was great I I wasn't sure what to expect uh with it ending the way that it did but I enjoyed it um I thought it was kind of interesting how they introduced Walt and Jesse into the story. Um, I kind of saw it going a different direction, uh, but I like how they sort of filled out scenes that took place in the Breaking Bad world, or they sort of, you know, kind of like bonus episodes back in the day, you know, like on a DVD for people who know what that is, (laughs) where you could watch extended (laughs) cuts or sort of, you know, things like that, um, where they didn't have to like, de-age them i don't know it was just kind of interesting how they sort of ended things um 
but I liked it. You know, I thought it ended really well. Um, I'm satisfied um, for all of it. I don't know. I just loved both of these shows. El Camino, kind of in the middle, um, but it was cool. You know, uh, got to work on that project as well. Um, so as a production assistant. So it was kind of interesting um, how it all played out. I don't know. I'm still kind of processing it, you know, like <laughs> right. it's, it just, you know, when you commit six years or five years of your life to something, then of course a pandemic happens and things get shut down and then the lead has a heart attack and things get shut down even longer. You know, you, it takes a while to get used to it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, did you ask about, did you ask about also the continuation in the universe? Or are we, not we'll do that. It? We'll do that in a little bit. Yeah, we'll do that in a little so, bit. So yeah, right I, mean, now... I loved it. I mean, I think it was great. I, I thought it was really well. Um, I would have never expected Carol Burnett's character, you know, an elderly woman, to be the one to take down Saul. Um, nice. It was great for for what got him into this whole world to begin with is what brought him down again. Very uh, poetic, very Shakespearean, <laughs> you know, um, and I knew when they were having dinner in there uh, or whatever, and he said something about Albuquerque uh, in response to her comment with her son, I kind of thought, well, does she know who he is? And she's just kind of, are these like the new Nazis? Is she conning him into something? But really, um, and then of course, when he bought her the laptop, I, that was the end for me. I knew it. I thought <laughs> she's going to go online and find out who he is. I mean, it only made sense. Um, so yeah, it was cool. I loved it. I love the show. Um, I'll probably go back. I always watch breaking bad once a year around the holidays. Um, it's my Christmas tradition. It's a feel that... good thing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. It's such a feel good thing to do it now during the holidays. So, yeah. <laughs> uh Constance, how did you feel about uh the end of Better Call Saul? I really enjoyed it. Uh at first uh well, when I started at the first seasons, when we started seeing the first scenes with Jean and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be great. Like I can't wait to see more of Cinnabon Jean." And <laughs> I, I thought at first he would like stick to like doing his job and try to hide from the police and be very scared. Like in the first few seasons, when you see the the the, the flash forwards uh, scenes where he's like uh, fainting while waiting, uh, well when he's like locked into a like a warehouse was just like mm-hmm. in the back store. And uh, so yeah, at first I was like, I want to see more, but I wasn't expecting him to go this far back into doing crimes and being a soul again but having the character of jeff having uh that knows him and to to, to because it, it would happen like nebraska and new mexico is not that far away like people <laughs> know him there's the internet there's there's way to know that somebody looks like somebody else and to have, thing, sorry I did. You glitched there. I apologize. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> and yeah, having like, it, it, like having to stay in the country, like obviously somebody would know who you are at some point in your life and having like him being able to be like, uh, to have Jimmy being able to manipulate Jeff into like, okay, well don't say anything 
and I'll help you out. I'll, I'll give you ways to uh, tips to to become a good uh, burglar and stuff like that. It was fun to see like the training scene. It was really great, and I thought it was like. Yeah, very good take on having this like small town Omaha uh, feeling, and it's it's funny because all the stuff with Bob Odenkirk shot in Nebraska is always in black and white for some reason. <laughs> the movie mm. Nebraska is the same thing. There's Bob Odenkirk in it, and everything's black and white. And uh, yeah, but uh, and also like, well, yeah, Carol Burnett Marion is a great character, and somebody mentioned on Twitter that it's fun to see that. Jimmy started in Elder's Law and it's an old lady that takes him down mm-hmm. and it's like a big it's a nice return of uh of the ball and yeah I thought it was a uh, it was great it was well shot it was uh, a great way to end the series Beautiful. Yeah, go ahead Brett Oh I just I forgot my train of thought quite frankly <laughs> uh, it's been a long day i don't know i liked it everything was great you know just the way that they sort of wrapped everything up and ended it i don't think they could have done it really any differently yeah. for sure did uh you know i mean it certainly was on the table did we ever did you know did we think that he was going to end up dead when this at the end of the series you know uh uh mike is is nodding his head mike you thought he was gonna he was gonna meet his end oh it was interesting. You just didn't know how he was going to survive. I wasn't expecting him to have a happy ending because this is the Breaking Bad universe. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesse got his happy ending by going up to Alaska and everything like that. But it was interesting, too, because, yes, everything was in black and white, except for the flashbacks. You got color still. But if you also notice the little things when um he was watching the better call Saul videos on her computer if you saw the reflection it, in color, his, it yeah. was the reflection in his glasses was in color mm. and it was just like it was that life that was in color and everything like that and it almost seemed like when after he got caught and you know he was in jail and he shaved and everything like that and he was back you know in the prison uniforms it is. It was less all pure black and white. It was all more almost like muted color in some ways and everything. It was just like because his past was catching up with him and everything was starting to come together. And, you know, I was almost expecting, but I'm glad it didn't, the final scene with him and Kim, you know, when he did the, you know, the boom, 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 you know. And I almost expected... Wouldn't that be kind of cool when he did that and, you know, she looked back and smiled at him. It changed back to color or something. Just like, boom, life Mm -hmm. goes on now. Because his life was, it's like we said earlier, I said earlier, Kim's was dead inside and everything. The reason it was black and white is because the whole Gene story, he was hiding from his past. His life was such a a parody of what it was, how boring and how quiet and how cold it was, you know, being in the middle of Oklahoma. And it was just like, it was just, it was disgusting. And it was just blah. And that's why. And, you know, even like when he did, after they pulled off the jobs and he went into the department store and he found the loud shirt and put it with the 
Lao Tai and everything and put it up. It's like, it was almost like his calling sign, you know, Saul is yeah. here type thing. And you know, it's funny when he, when he dresses up for court and he's all Saul Goodman as in the court, like, as you could tell, even though it's not in color, we know that that's a loud. Scene. Oh yeah. The, the, the jacket <laughs> is so shiny. Like, it's like, Oh, how can we put some colors without having any colors? Oh, let's put some shine in it. It's great. <laughs> That was so well done visually. But it was awesome because, you know, he wanted, you know, when he found, he thought he had it all in the bag. He got him down to, what, seven and a half years for everything he did. And then, you know, when he found out that Kim, you know, ratted him out and everything about, you know, Howard. And it was just, it was just real interesting that you know everything then was his the look on his face was like oh and he then you know and he was he probably would have gotten off scot-free if he would have gone to court because as he said he is such a good attorney that he could have had one person doubt him you know Mm -hmm. that you know felt sympathy for him and everything and he could have played it off but then he got kim in court to see hear him and he knew you know he had to come clean on everything and yeah he could have done things differently and such but it was just he was like this this is when he became Saul was dead this was Jimmy coming back and it was it was awesome to see and it was just such a good final episode and everything and you know it was it was really well done and i'm glad it ended the way it did i you know and you know like judy was like oh he's gonna be dead in in prison and everything it's like no he's not he's a hero he's a well like like they 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 love him well exactly because he was the one who was out there defending the yeah he was their guy you're better call Saul and I love the scene on the bus when they were all better call Saul Saul. and and it was just awesome and I looked at Judy and I told her it's like he's fine he's gonna be in like Flynn you know yeah yeah because you know like when he's in prison like you know it's not the prison he wants to be he's not getting his mint chocolate chip ice cream um but you know he's He's, but like uh, all the other prisoners are like, I got you, Saul. Yeah, I got you, you man. Fine. Like they're all like, he's in the kitchen going, hey, buddy. Like, like they all know him. Like they, I mean, he's fine. He's fine. I mean, look, it's prison, right? But, uh, but yeah, like you, Mike, I did really like the, you know, once he finds out that Kim is, has, has done what she's done, what, what he said to do, right? He told her like, why don't you like, confess and so she's like so she does she makes a decision for the first time in like two years um you know it takes him aback for a second but instantly he knows what he has to do and he puts on the Saul suit one more time in order to to help Kim um and he's doing what he's doing to help Kim um which yes you're right this is he turns back into Jimmy uh and in fact he says so in the court he's like I'm not Saul anymore. I'm not Saul Goodman anymore. I'm I'm Jimmy McGill. Um, it's a powerful moment. Um, and yes, very powerful ending. But Jay, how did you feel about the end of Better Call Saul? 
Well, I don't have a differing opinion. I loved it too. And, and I loved it for several reasons. One reason is I think that it has never been more difficult in the history of storytelling to come up with an ending that is satisfying. And part of the reason for that is because we have social media and we have heard every single friend of ours tell us what ending they would prefer. And we naturally are going to gravitate towards one of those and be like, oh, yeah, I do hope they end it that way. Right. I mean, it's almost impossible for them to, for us to get a surprising ending or for us to get something that we didn't expect. Or and I think that what um, I think that we get we all kind of know at the end of this series, like that's how it had to play out. But but I still didn't see anybody predicting it. I still didn't see. You kind of knew it was going to be that, but you didn't predict it. I think you cannot ask for anything more from an ending of a story. That is perfection. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really, really enjoyed about the ending was the flashbacks we got. And I love how they actually transform the conversations in the flashbacks. Because he starts out by saying, if you had a time machine and you could go back and change anything... What would you change? And then, and then when he when he hits Walter White, Walter White goes, "No, no, no, none of this time machine. You're talking about regrets, and so you're asking me what I regret." And I think that the the perfection of those um, flashbacks leading up to this conclusion that we get for this show is that what it kind of solidifies is that that part of Jimmy's journey is him. Basically, I would argue flirting with being a sociopath. Yes. He doesn't know what, what other people's feelings are. He doesn't even know half the time what his own feelings are. And the whole time he's playing this game, he's using people to get things. And it's just very sociopathic behavior. And the one thing we get from him in, in the end is that he goes, you know what? Of all the people that I've been unfair to, I've been most unfair to Kim. Because she actually loved me and showed me love and tried to get me to go along a path that I couldn't go down. So if I owe anybody anything, I owe it to Kim. And so for him to make that change in, in the end there, and for him, it's, it's basically the change that, that we wanted Walter White to make at some point, but he never could, right? Mm -hmm. and it's, but he makes that little tiny change. And we go, perfect. So yeah, I think, I mean, the, how it all comes together is, uh, is magnificent. I loved it. Yeah. It was pretty darn awesome too, because it was interesting with those flashbacks. And, you know, at first it was like, I want all the money. I want the, you know, and then it, when they went through the different, and then when they went to the flashback with him and Chuck and great cameo by Michael McKeon, I was like, oh, this is awesome, <laughs> you know, and to be back in that scene and, it was awesome. And then for him to be picking up the book and it was the HG Wells time machine for it to come through. And so brilliant. It was, so brilliant. it was just, it was just like, wow, this is where it's all based off. But I love the scene with him and Walter because Walter was like, he's not a, you know, a fantasy guy. No, it has to be based in fact, this is what it is. And you're just talking about regrets. You're not, you know, you're not talking about this, this, or this. And that, that was just awesome. I like that. That was my favorite flashback out of the three cameos with, mm -hmm. you know, with Walter and Jesse. Cause, and it just, it tied really well together and everything. And it was just like, okay, that was, that made so much sense and it worked so well too. 
Yeah. I did like the flashback. Uh, I did like the flashback with Kim and Jesse. Yeah. For the pure yeah. simple fact that it was like, this is not about whatever they're talking about. This is about Kim could change Jesse's life if they connect right now and she starts to defend him. <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah. like, he could have gone down a completely different path right here and now. And of course, it doesn't go that way. But I think that, that was another flashback. So I agree with you, Mike. That was a cool flashback. And then those are two my two favorites, just showing those two characters in those lights. The funny thing about that flashback, too, is also uh, because, well, the first flashbacks we see of uh, Walt and Jesse is just like, everybody was like, oh my God, Jesse is just like, it's it's forty year old, <laughs> four year old guy with a with a beanie on that that pretends to be like Jesse Pinkman, uh, but on the second scene probably because it's so dark and rainy, but it didn't feel like it was like forty year old Aaron Paul do, doing uh doing a bit. It, it felt like r- the real Jesse being there in that scene. Absolutely. I loved it. It was so cool to see those two connect. Yeah, because um, we didn't really, you know, we didn't get to see Kim interact with a lot of the people from Breaking Bad because she wasn't around, you know. And the fact that she did actually, like right before, I guess, the events of Breaking Bad, she had actually walked into Saul's office and and uh, and got the got the divorce. Um, and it's a power. That's yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes as well. And I love the ending as well. I really, really love the addition of Carol Burnett. Um, I love Carol Burnett. She's probably, uh, yeah, she just, she's a national treasure. And and to have her do this is just amazing. I, I was kind of worried that I was going to be like, that's Carol Burnett. Like, I wasn't going to see her as, as Marion. I was just going to see her as Carol Burnett. Like, but she's just so good. And the way that it's filmed is so good. And I love the fact that, you know, yeah, she's the one that turns him in which is great. But also that scene is pretty intense. Cause I don't even think, you know, Jimmy or Gene knows if he's going to kill her or not. Like it's, yeah, it's I thought he was like, going to do that. I was convinced right? that was going to happen. <laughs> I, like, man, that would have been you know, too obvious for that to happen that way. No, I don't yeah, know. Well, previously, like a few minutes before that, we saw he was going to like conk a guy in the back of the head with a urn. Like, so we, you know, is he capable of murder? Like physically, like direct murder like this? Um, and that was, you know, but he pulls back and then that's when, you know, uh, and then they find him in a dumpster. Um, but, uh, and I mean, that's just so perfect too. That is such a perfect way to, to, you know, where did, where do they catch up with Saul? Like in a dumpster. Of course word, they did. Word of advice yeah. when running from the cops, have the phone, the burner phone <laughs> out of the plastic. Don't yeah. be shifting around trying to get it out in a dumpster. <laughs> oh what this show does to burner phones and cell phones is so funny as well um but um all right so unfortunately yes we have to we're done talking about the series i just want to oh. have some thought, quick thoughts on <laughs> on you know is there a future do you, in your mind is there a future for the bbu uh the the breaking bad universe uh is there any character that you would like to see more of or you know, do you think this should be the end? Uh, Brett, we'll start with you because uh, I think you seem pretty, pretty adamant that this should they should at least hold off for a while. I think they should be done. I don't know what else they could possibly do. I think we've gotten enough backstory from everybody. You know, there was rumors swallowing at one point of a Gus Fring spinoff. I'm just like, I think they need to just 
stop. It's been great. Better Call Saul made sense, obviously. Um, Breaking Bad was great, but I just don't know what else they could possibly do. I think Vince Gilligan, to strike lightning once is one thing. You know, twice, three times is great, I'm sure. I mean, Bob Odenkirk already has a new show coming out on AMC next year. Same with Giancarlo next year. So I think that's great. They're going to stay on the network and do something different. But I don't think they should do anything else. I mean, I I can't even imagine what it would look like, (laughs) to be quite honest. So Yeah, um, I mean, this this is AMC, you know, so, you know. I'm sure they just want to keep, you know, milking that tea, right? They just still, they want to go like, they want to keep like, they want to bring us like, you know, fear the breaking bad and tales of the better call Saul or whatever. Like they, you know, like, like they've done with walking dead, right? They just want to like, keep, keep going until, and let the, and let the ratings and the money come in. But I think, you know, Vince and them have made it clear that no, that is not going to happen with this and that they are done for now. But do you want to see more Constance? Do you want to see more? Well, you mentioned it. Uh, there's other shows coming up. Like you can, like that's my word of advice to to AMC. Like you can have the same people on and do something completely new and try to invent something that would like influence people as much as those shows did, and not jump jump the shark. <laughs> and uh, yeah. That's that's how I see it. I think we're done. I think we're done with the uh, the Breaking Bad universe. Even if I really loved it, I don't think it's good to uh, water down and, and just continue with that. And yeah, you're. Yeah. And I think they're aware of it. Like Vince is aware of it. Peter is aware of it. And they know they had a really really good show. And they know that if they do anything more, it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a mess. <laughs> uh, I'm curious to hear from the story guy. Is there are there any stories left from this universe? Yeah, it's so interesting. I would love to have an alternate take and be like, oh yeah, they should do this other thing. But <laughs> the problem is, is that I, I'm actually not even. I've grown increasingly skeptical of of franchise models because it's very difficult to pull off a franchise model that is not money based, right? I mean, I think it's very difficult. Like we've well, we've all seen the money work, but then we've all seen it all also turn into something where the money doesn't work anymore, and now the people just like have a revolt against it, right? I mean, like, yeah. look like at what's the Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's just like these. It's just you know. I think if you were gonna do franchise storytelling I, I i do think that something like the james bond world where you set the expectation where we're going to change the lead character and you set the expectation that these are somewhat standalone like there's some maybe some elements that relate back to other elements but for the most part this is just a new story with a new thing and it's not it's not in continuity right like um but unfortunately these big these big businesses have gotten us to to go after continuity all the time and, and, and make sure that continuity is at the top of our, of our brains. And like, that probably wasn't even a thing 50 years ago. Like no one was thinking of continuity 50 years ago. There wasn't even such a thing as there were serial stories. Sure. But um, yeah, I just don't feel like we need to go back to the same thing. And, and quite frankly, for me, for a talent like um, Vince Gilligan, 
I don't want to see him working on the same things. You know, what, yeah. sometimes I talk to my friends who are also writers and we talk about, well, what kind of career would you want? And I think like the, the, the enviable career of all careers is like the Michael Crichton career where you could just tell any story you wanted to. Like it didn't need to come one after the other or whatever. You could just tell, I want to tell something about the Congo. Okay. <laughs> I want to tell something about dinosaurs and you green light that too. Uh, I want to tell something about computers, whatever it is. Like, I think that I would like to see these storytellers work in other genres and be creative because otherwise we're, 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 we're squelching their creativity by saying you have to tell it about the same characters that you've already gone to. And I just don't think that's necessary anymore. So please new stuff. I don't need to see any of the, those, the same <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'm happy with something new. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. No, let's keep it. Let's just, no, I'm, I'm done. I think, you know, we've written off, you know, Walter's dead. Jesse's in, you know, basically up in Alaska and Kim is back in Florida and, you know, James is in prison in, you know, basically in New Mexico. And everybody else is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, pr well, yeah. Pretty much everyone else. You're right. Is, you know, dead. What are we going to do a series about Badger? No, I don't think no. so. Or Walt Jr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I was going to say, look out. Here comes Walt Jr. One of the things that I found interesting, and we didn't talk about this, but was the transformation of Saul's office, how it started out, you know, <laughs> being this very professional, upfront, honest thing. And then, you know, it becomes the lion's den. Oh, and exactly. Throw that in there. And it's it's interesting because that's actually really awesome because you're right. We saw, you know, he actually had his receptionist actually liked him and wasn't. You I know. have Tina Parker coming on tomorrow to talk about her role as Francesca. So, oh, I'm that's excited. awesome. That is. And I've awesome. had Jeremiah Bitsui on, who played Victor, uh, and Michael Mando has been on the show as well. So, Sweet. oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome, sir. I'm impressed. But, you know, one of the other things we didn't talk about was the opening, how it constantly evolved. Yeah. And, you know, and slowly turned, it was slowly turning into Saul. But then over the last season, the videotape that it was playing on ended. And it had little hints in it. Like, you know, as when you saw the snow and everything, something was poking through that happened in that episode. And it was like little clues, which was brilliant, was really, really brilliant. And, you know, like we got a kick out of it when you remember earlier, I think it was like two seasons ago, there was that couple from the first season who were stealing the money from the government. The and, Kettleman's? Yeah, the Kettleman's. <laughs> and then they were doing tax taxes for people and they were stealing money from the government. Yeah, and they had Saul's uh, Statue of Liberty balloon outside of their, you know, and it was just all the little things you just saw throughout the series, and it was it was so well done, it was really really well done, and you know it it was everything was thought through. There wasn't any scenes that were just filler or where we don't you know something like Lost where they didn't know where the series was going. Or anything, <laughs> you know, 
Vince had a or they did, but then they said they didn't, and then they tried to not, and then they and then they messed it up. (laughs) No, but you Um, could could tell here that they had plans the whole time. Yeah, I mean Vince and Peter. I mean, and that I agree with you guys. I want to see you know whether it's together or apart. I want to see what these guys can do next. Like I really want to see them venture out into new territory, challenge themselves, challenge us. Um, If they have an idea for something in this universe, am I going to tune in? Sure. Yeah, the adventures like, absolutely. Of, the adventures of you know Badger and Skinny Pete. I can't wait. <laughs> but I really hope. But, uh, yeah, I really hope that they're gonna surround themselves with the same writing team because they had like the best ones. Like uh, they give their chance to. Uh, well, they had like Jennifer Atchison, Gordon Smith. Uh, well, uh, Marion there. She left to uh, do a show with Marvel, but she was on the the five first seasons. Uh, well, Tom Schnauz is an amazing director, and I want to see his work again. And I really hope that if they do something new, that they bring them all back, because I think yeah. they were all like a big part of the show, and they're amazing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, so. In conclusion, real quick, one sentence, maybe two. Uh, Jay, I'm going to start with you. Um, what's the legacy of this show? Personal or pop culture-wise, however you want to get turn it. Mm. I think that it deserves a spot in every top ten list of TV shows ever made in the history of television. And I think it will retain that spot for years and years to come, even in light of the golden age of television that it is today. So mm. phenomenal stuff. Constance? I agree to this and I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Brett? I agree. I think it, it, it'll, it'll hold up from now until whenever. Mike? It's sometimes very rare when you have a prequel that is technically a sequel to a series and the prequel is actually in a lot of ways better than the original and there's a lot of ways i feel like better call saul was a better all-around show than breaking bad now i loved breaking bad i thought it was an amazing series and you know brian cranston was awesome but you know what? I think Better Call Saul left, you know, a better taste in my mouth. I think it left mm-hmm. a better all-around series that I was looking forward to week after week to watch. And, oh, I can't believe they made us wait a month to see the final couple episodes, yeah. you know, and everything. So, you know what? Bravo. And I think it will go down in history as one of the most brilliant shows out there. Agreed. Yeah. And, and, and for me personally, and I think, you know, otherwise too, um, it's, I'm, I, I cannot think of a better series that had, uh, better acting, better writing, better <laughs> cinematography, direction style. Um, I, it just it had everything going on at the same time. Lightning really struck here. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, it's not an easy watch, but it's definitely worth a rewatch. 
and and a multiple rewatch. And it's one of those shows that I know that if I rewatch it, I will see things differently and I'll find different things and I'll relate to it differently because it's just a show that like a person evolves as you watch it. Um, So um, very solid. Thanks guys for joining us. Um, uh, We're going to take a quick break and we're going to close out the show and say our farewells. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the second season of A Discovery of Witches. So I'm a little behind on Discovery of Witches, the show that's based off of Deborah Harkness's All Souls trilogy book series. This season, we see Diana and Matthew as they have gone back in time to try and find the book of life. We see Matthew try not to revert back to his old self, who is very violent, And we also meet a lot of Matthew's family from that timeline as well, whom we have not met in present time yet. We also get to meet his father, Philippe. Diana is trained by the witches of that time to learn her spell weaving. And we even meet her father that we learn is a time walker. And we get to kind of have him tell them some things that they don't necessarily want to hear about how they need to leave the book in that time. They can't take it back. They can't change the time, which they've already done some of that. This season ran a lot slower than the first season and for a while didn't seem to really go anywhere. There were some great scenes that did define this season, pretty much all the stuff with Philippe, since prior to this, we had only heard the Declaremont speak of him. So getting to see him and see that he was somewhat an okay guy for the time he grew up in really helped us understand why the family missed him so much. We also learned how he died, which is pretty awful, and I'm not going to get into it here. While this season did have one of the best settings between the first two seasons, in my opinion, I feel like there was so much more they could have done to portray what happened in the books and make it a bit more flowing and interesting. And it did feel super rushed towards the end, since they kind of just decide, well, we're done here. Let's go back home. We also get to see what's going on in present day, as Diana's aunts are trying to locate the book in their time, and how Isabella is slowly starting to realize that her dislike of witches needs to change since her family is changing. Overall, I didn't dislike this season. I enjoyed getting to see the story move on, and I love period-style dramas, So the fact that they were in kind of an Elizabethan time was really, really great. And the costumes were beautiful. I just wish it was not so slow moving because that does make it start to get a little boring and makes it hard to get through the whole season. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here tonight. Constance, you made it through your first episode with us. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
It was great. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Is there anything you want to promote or anything? Uh, Well, if, if anybody who listens to uh, us speak French, uh, I do a live stream. Like I'm on Twitch. So I have uh, this little live stream where I do like uh, art. Uh, Usually it's uh, like on the, on the weekends, like little afternoons. Uh, You could, Come and follow me on twitch.tv slash Poulet. I'm sorry. Like, it's really complicated. I should, I should write it down somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. well, well, send us the link and we'll have the yeah, link. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. It's going to be easier. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll be easier to pronounce that way, too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, though, so much for being here with us tonight. And Jay, you made it, my friend. Oh, yeah. It's always a pleasure to join the Earth Station crew um, and hang out with the mics. Uh, always a really good time. And, um, I have been doing the Story Geeks podcast for a very long time, but it is currently on hiatus because I've been dealing with some COVID long hauler symptoms. And I thought, you know what? I just need to, I would, I would end the podcast and be completely out of breath. <laughs> I was like, okay, just take a break. Just take a break yeah, yeah. while you get your treatment. So I'm currently on hiatus, uh, but when I come back, I'm working on a new script. Um, and it is, I think it's a, it's a really fun project. And I think I'll be talking a lot about that. So come join me on the Story Geeks podcast. You, on your preferred podcast channel or on YouTube if you want to see my face, which most people don't. So audio or video, it's up to you. That is awesome. Fantastic, sir. And Brett, my friend, thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, I think the last time was two years ago during talking about Hellboy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think, this, I is think, I think this is a much better experience. <laughs> David, yeah. Um, no, just be sure to check out the Brett Allen Show. Just Google it. It'll pop up. Uh, I interview celebrities, film, music, television, comedy, and more. Uh, check out my latest interview with Dane DiLiegro, who plays the Predator in Hulu's Prey. Ooh. And uh, my upcoming episode with uh, tomorrow with Melissa Rivers, uh, Joan Rivers' daughter. So it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but check out the Brett Allen Show. We just started building our YouTube channel. So give us a subscribe. And we've got a lot of cool interviews uh, coming up. From all of your favorite fall television shows, Chicago Med, PD Fire, all of it. The whole shoot match. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't believe it's almost fall already. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. We've Where'd got all calls go? for uh, NBC here next week. So nice. Lots of Very awesome, jackets sir. coming up. Well, enjoy. And thank you as always. Mr. Mike Gordon, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you got to shout out about, sir? I do. You know, uh, we've talked about it on uh, the Dragon Con Report. We've talked about it on other podcasts, and we've even talked about it on this podcast. But as everybody probably already knows, Dragon Con is coming up, uh, and what? Uh, I am very, I am, I am very excited and not at all prepared at this point. But I can tell you that I will be there. In fact, uh, I will. You can find me in the uh, comic and pop artist alley. Uh, that is in America's Mart. Um, I will be table 624. So come and say howdy to me there. Um, also, I have eight panels at this. Uh, at th- right now, it's on my schedule. Um, I won't go into the detail on those, although some of them will be with my lovely co-host here, Mike Faber. Oh. Um, and and some of them will not. So, uh, you know, take your chance there. Uh, but uh 
Um, I, uh, I look forward to seeing everybody at the panels, at my table, uh, walking around. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And Dragon Con is my favorite convention, my favorite time of year. And uh, I can't wait to see everybody. Of course, it's going to be awesome to see everybody this year. And, you know, a little bit of a reminder, we will have ESO Network ribbons. So we will be giving those out for your badges. So we will have four different types of, ba- of ribbons for your badge. Um, find them. Mike will have probably have some over on his table and find, you know, different members of the ESO Network. And we'll have, you know, those or come to our panels, which would be awesome. It'd be fantastic if you can. You know, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner. We're going to be doing the, what else are we doing? Oh, we are doing Doctor Who. We're looking at the 13th Doctor. And of course, we are looking at doing the 10th anniversary of the ESO Network. That's right. This year, ESO turned 10. So that's pretty awesome that, you know, most networks never make it past like the third or fourth year. ESO has made it to 10. And so we were going through, I was going through a list of all the shows that have been on the network. We've had a total of over 70 shows on the network, folks. And, you know, some have lived, some have died. You know, it's pretty cool. So it's always great to be able to talk to people about that. So definitely try to find us out. Um, I'm doing a little bit of an announcement right now. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, After Dragon Con, once we get our you know, recovery done and try to, you know, survive it and everything. We are going to be starting an Earth Station One YouTube channel. That's right, oh. folks. We are going to be starting a YouTube channel, but you're going, Mike, what? You're an audio podcast. Yes, we are for now. So I'm very happy. We still to- will be. Oh, we, I know we will. We're, that's not going to change. <laughs> but, um, you know, many people have wondered, you know, what we do while we're recording, what kind of things we mess up on, what kind of things we talk about, you know, on, you know, what we're doing while we're playing with like a rubber band, like I'm doing right now, you know, while we're recording it. So starting after Dragon Con, we will have all our weekly episodes up there unedited and, you know, raw so we're gonna be calling it earth station one unplugged and so basically we'll have the main topic and we'll if we're gonna have any guests in the geek seat we will have that segment up on the into the youtube channel so you'll be able to subscribe up there um don't go looking for it now because the only thing you'll find right now is either the dragon con report or eso network but, you know, it's always great to subscribe to those, too. But Earth Station 1 will be up there also. So definitely we're growing, folks, and we're trying to evolve and, you know, just a little more ways to get you involved. So it's pretty cool. And speaking of getting you guys involved, we are going to be back again next week. And you know what? We're going to be talking about what we do in our dreams. Well, we're going to be talking about Dream himself. We're going to be talking <laughs> all about Sandman. So it's going to be awesome. The We're going to be talking about the Netflix series. We've already talked in the past about the comic book. And, you know, so it should be a ton of fun. And we got a great crew already lined up for it. But, you know, it's going to be great to do. And we actually even got a bonus episode of Sandman this last week that nobody was expecting which is even better. And so we have 11 episodes there where we're going to be talking about. Check it out. Check us out. Of course, feedback is always welcome at feedback at earthstation1.com. Definitely, you know, do that. And if you have a chance, also check out our Patreon. We would want to do our Patreon because, you know what? We have episodes going back almost, I don't want to say close to 
um, probably three or four years up there now. So definitely you could find episodes, uh, old episodes of Earth Station One up there, Earth Station Who, the Dragon Con Report, and also special episodes of Rants and Raves, Earth Station um, Board Silly. Uh, we also have um, some older podcasts that we did. I know we did a Watchathon podcast at one point, and we have also special episodes of various shows from the network who've done stuff. So it's pretty cool with you know what we have up there, and you too can become a patron of the ESO network for as little as a dollar. But you know we're also talking about maybe adding a new tier and call it the Apple Pie tier. So you know you never know. <laughs> So, you know, we, you never know what we can end up doing on that. So check it out, patreon.com slash ESO Network. All right, folks, we are out of here. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. We're up there with the big guys. Just look for Earth Station One. You know, it's always a nice thing to be know that we're up there. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, and Mr. Mike Gordon, I want to thank our guests, Jay Shearer, Constant Harvey, and Brett Allen. Thank you for listening. And you know what? If you meet a guy named Saul Goodman, you know what? It's all good, man. Take it easy, folks. We will see you. Peace, and we are done. Boom. They're probably in prison. <laughs> You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.